0: bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by cashfly at dot com. this week in photography is sponsored by audible go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book this week on twip pocket wizard gets even
1: smarter canon introduces swank new tilt shift lenses and part two of the riveting interview with photographer rebecca All that and more on episode number seventy of this week in photography. And we're back for another episode of this week in photography, aka TWIP. And on the line today we have Alex Lindsay, who is in uh, in the the, the big the big house there, the studio. Alex, here in San San Francisco, right?
0: Very lonely. Somebody, oh. you know, is missing. Oh, wait, it's you. <laughs> You're in the big padded room alone. I am. <laughs> you know, they they often say I should be in a big padded room alone. Yeah. And here I am.
1: Oh, that's a good room. But, you know, I, I want to say, you know, the TWIP listeners can't see this, but uh, Alex Lindsay has provided me with a nice microphone that I'm using to record on now. So I'm recording from home and I sound like better. Look
0: at that. Yeah. It sounds great. Can I just
2: add something because I heard something very recently that's kind of exciting and will mean that Alex will be less lonely in that Alex is expecting a, a new child. It's a girl. Wow! It's a girl. Works in a girl.
0: Why? So it'll be it's, another.
2: I Connor big... Cannon.
0: Nikon Canon. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm. You know, I'm going to let her decide. You know, I don't want to. not want to force this. You know, on her. You know, I think that. I, it's, it's my son. I think is turning out to be a canon a canon guy, um, but but I think that she you know she's going to come out and she's going to decide you know. How she uh, how she wants to have pictures taken of her. You know, I, think that's I, w- the, that's I always wondered if that preference was was genetic or just a, a choice. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to well, go with, know, I'm gonna gonna go with genetic.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is going to be a big test. You know, we're, we're going to see how this turns out. So I'm I, I'm what I actually am already starting to think about, you know, what worked and didn't work from the last photo shoot because you only get, you know, photo shoot. It's, it's worse than a wedding. I mean, the baby is born and you've got 20 minutes to shoot like 300 photos. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I'm going to, I think it is actually pushing me towards a D seven hundred is finally my, my someday I'm actually going to make a choice. <laughs> and, but I, I've been thinking about it like, ah, oh, I could really use some more low light performance so that I could, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the key. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so yeah, as from a photographic point of view, just pull the trigger.
1: So who was who the voice that we heard over there? The, the Canadian oh. New Yorker, some, some kind of voice <laughs> coming from the East.
2: Steve Simon here in New York uh, at my post, uh, looking forward to today's show
1: cool hey steve steve what you know alex last show i was doing that my brain has been rewiring itself and and doing some sort of word salad with everybody's name i don't know i
0: think it's age i think it's age it's the, it's the drugs it's drugs it's <laughs> really gonna have to step away from the heroin that's all i'm saying i
1: know I mean, it's, it's too much caffeine and heroin yeah. and all this other stuff yeah. exactly that was a joke i'm not actually doing that stuff. <laughs>
2: The only reason, we, I think just, the only reason, anybody can say joke, no, twip listeners. just for the millions
1: of Twip listeners out there, Frederick is not doing any illegal drugs, only the legal <laughs> ones. <laughs> caffeine caffeine is a caffeine. legal drug. As far as caffeine. I
0: mean, caffeine makes me a bit nervous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Was that Ron Brinkman I heard? It was indeed good to be back. I uh, had to bail out on last week's show because my voice was not good. I don't know if it's much better today. It's, it's better, but it's still a little bit froggy, I think. Yeah. It's not to, puberty, though. It's not puberty? You sure? Yeah, so if I, if I squeak occasionally?
2: Ron and I just met about a, a couple of weeks ago. He looks so young, it could be puberty. Well, this is the first time
1: you guys actually met in person, right? That's true.
2: Now yeah, I've met him.
3: Yeah, I was out in New York, and uh, Steve and I managed to, to get together for a drink in the midst of a conference. and uh, It was good to actually put a, a face to the voice. Isn't that amazing he's how not- uh, you can you can have this much
1: contact with a person for this length of time and never have met them face to face? That's great. Yeah, he's it's much kind of younger
2: looking and more handsome than in the photos that uh, I've seen of him. Ah, you you flatter me.
1: <laughs> in the frigid temperatures of New York, was Ron Brinkman wearing sandals? Is what I want to know, or was he barefoot?
2: Well, we met indoors, so okay.
1: ah, all right. <laughs> so, Ron, you had to put some you had to put oh. some clothing on your feet, right?
3: Yeah, shoes, but no socks.
1: Okay. Alright. At least you're you're keeping draw somewhat true. <laughs> and there's also uh Mr. Mailer, Aaron Maylor's on the line. Hey Aaron. Hey guys. How goes it over in uh in
4: your neck of the woods? It goes pretty well. We're back uh we're back in our winter temperatures again for some odd reason, but think spring's coming at some point.
1: So the running thing on the show has been a weekly catastrophe over in your neck of the woods, whether it be <laughs> hackers <laughs> invading your network or power going down for days at a time.
4: Or <laughs> I, so I what, what is it this week? I resolved my Wi-Fi issues. They turned out not to be the wind, exactly. For the first time in the many years I've had this, there was a tiny bit of moisture that got in one of the connectors. It takes about 30% off your signal strength. So, wow. well, finally just, sorted all that out. So for, for, the,
1: for the TWIP audience, just so they know that you're just not this guy that likes to fix stuff over there, what is it that you do without divulging too much, but what, what's,
4: your, what's your lot in life? Um, well, I guess my title is Director of Network Services here at Sweet Bear College, so my world is one of uh, blinking lights and fiber optics and wires and network security and servers and programming and so on and so forth. So basically, I'm a sysadmin for a small college in Virginia. Well, you keep everything humming I, along. I, nice the, point,
3: the point is, Aaron, that you have this massive TV tower that you mounted in your backyard to get to a Wi-Fi <laughs>
4: That is true. It's 140 feet high, actually.
0: How tall
4: how how but uh, how how fast is it? Well, um, my connection across the street is fifty-four megabit, um, and the upstream bandwidth from the college is a DS three right now, forty-five megabits in both <laughs> directions. So, uh, which is fun. Which is why you put a big tower in your backyard to make sure that. you Well, get I only those. live a mile from the college, so uh, you know right. I would be at work all day with great bandwidth, and then I would come home to a dial-up connection because we're in a rural area, and I couldn't stand that any longer. So but the easiest way a- to do it, since I can't put fiber in, was I put a 140-foot tower in the yard and shoot Wi-Fi one mile across the road to the college.
2: Do you have a time machine in your garage?
4: <laughs> i should there's a, there's a delorean out there that's you know getting modified as time goes on all
1: right this this is turning into this week in technology i feel it
4: to <laughs> 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 move this over hey, to on. that other show on the
1: show <laughs> on to the show so uh we've got a, a linking contest i think that's still going on right right aaron the, It's uh, always going on it's a, it's a it's a constant contest the constant linking contest whereas if you link to twip photo.com, you could win
0: a wonderful prize package. Alex, tell them what they could win. You could win three of Scott's 88 <laughs> Secrets books or one free premium subscription to lynda.com. So you definitely want to check that out as well as the uh, Aperture Nature Photography Contest, which is ongoing. You can get all the information you need on that at twipphoto.com. Thank you very much, Alex. All right. Very well. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm moving along quickly because, again,
1: for this show, we have we have part two. Of the very famous Rebecca interview, have you guys seen some of the storm on the web and the uh, the pickup that that interview? At least the first part has gotten. People are all over that. Yeah, so no, it's it was good, it's
0: it was definitely good worth. Yeah, yeah definitely
1: yeah it's worth give it a listen if you haven't listened Twip listeners, if you haven't listened to last week's Twip, I would make sure you give that a listen to get part one of the Rebecca interview um before you listen to today's episode, which will contain part two and the topic of that interview makes was you want to go
3: back to Iceland.
1: yeah totally, what well, makes you want to go period uh, topic of the interview no, was okay,
3: uh um, time just. just.
1: Narcissism and the self-portrait is what that, what the, uh, what we were discussing along with all kinds of other things like what she uses in her work and all that kind of good stuff. But before we get to that stuff, uh, let's take a quick look at the news of the week. At the top of the news is and uh, my geek lust is kicking in the high gear again. because Pocket Wizard has, uh, is releasing their Mini TT1 and Flex TT5, which are basically Pocket Wizards. If you know what a Pocket Wizard is, it's basically a device that lets you remotely trigger either a flash or a camera shutter from, I forget what the distance is, hundreds of feet away from the actual device. So you can do all sorts of creative lighting techniques. It's like a long wireless RF sync cord but the problem has been or the, the one of the limitations has been it's just a switch either you know you hit a switch and it pops the flash um so you don't you never had the benefit of doing TTL or through the lens metering but with these new devices that they're announcing uh on March or releasing on March 1 for Canon and for Nikon and sometime uh in Q2 these things will have full TTL wireless capability, so basically, best of both worlds. You can have the world's longest sync cord and not have to worry about computing your exposures. Have, has anybody on the panel uh, used a Pocket Wizard ever?
2: I I have Pocket Wizards, um, but I don't use them in the capacity that uh, a lot of people do. You know, to fire the the little flashes. I use them for my my battery uh, pro photo. Um, Studio flash, hmm. but this is pretty exciting because full TTL wireless capability means um, it's it 's going to be a lot easier I think for a lot of people to get into using uh, you know the, the the remote flashes and 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 experiment with this kind of lighting so it's it 's kind of exciting and and from what I understand, you know the prices of these new uh, uh, pieces are actually lower than the ones they've got now so i mean there's a lot of advantage to this new system when it comes out so nikon users are going to have to be a little more patient than you canon guys
1: i think i think nikon users are just going to let the canon guys beta test for us while they work the bugs out <laughs> then in q2 we'll swoop in with version two so exactly.
4: that's that's <laughs> backwards compatible too steve so you can use your old pocket wizard gear with them
2: that's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's it's pretty exciting. I think uh, I think it's going to be very popular. It's certainly getting a big buzz uh, uh, on a lot of different blogs.
1: Yeah, especially over on Strobist. That's where I heard about it, David Hobby's blog.
2: Yeah. Rob Galbraith has a, a very extensive uh, test uh, on his blog that you might want to check out as well.
1: So just for the, the people that may have not have been exposed to these things, what are some of the creative things that you could do with this, Steve? You know, what what... Other than okay, now my my camera is away from my flash, and I can not have that harsh red eye thing. What what's magical about a pocket wizard?
2: I think um, you know the the newspaper photographers, you know, who don't have a lot of time and often are forced to you know go to relatively boring press conferences, etc. Have used these uh, remote flashes uh, to their advantage uh, by placing them. Uh, where they can get a nice kind of a, a side lit image of of you know people on you know under fluorescent lighting situations or at a podium, and you get a very uh, a much more dramatic and interesting um, light and thus a more dramatic and interesting picture by using um, just just one extra flash. Um, you know, strategically placed, uh, and you you kind of know where your your main players are going to be. So that's that's one application that I think uh, a lot of photographers use to to kind of ramp up their quality when it comes to those kinds of relatively, uh, as far as the lighting is concerned, boring assignments.
1: Yeah, I wonder <clears throat> I wonder how it would work with multiple flashes. And I guess I could do a little more research, but just having, if you wanted to do the full on five-flash or five-head setup where you have main, key, back, rim, all that stuff going on. Could all of those devices be communicating with the body or the camera Simultaneously in TTL.
2: I think it could, Fred, because you know, in looking at, uh, and I've never done such a multi-flash setup, but um, just from from Rob Galbraith's testing, I think he had a, a three-flash setup that he used, and uh, you can see you can see the drama in the photos that uh, using uh, a remote flash will will create. So certainly, um, I think uh, photographers doing portrait photography or or those that uh, want kind of a, a low-cost studio alternative to the big studio flash, um, these devices with full TTL are going to be uh, pretty exciting. Well,
3: Yeah. Looking yeah forward I, to I'm it. really kind of surprised that um, camera manufacturers haven't started building in the transmitters for this kind of thing into the camera body, though.
2: Yeah. It is, it is a surprise because I, we know that both Canon and Nikon, um, you know, have... Uh, great uh, flash systems that uh, allow. Yeah,
3: and, and it would just it would, it would make so much sense not having to bolt something extra on top that has its own stuff. You know, I'm sure that the actual le- electronics for this is small enough you could build it into the body. Uh, you know, and just get to this world where everything is going to be wireless anyway, and then just easy enough to carry your secondary flash around and, and you know hold it out to the side, get rid of all that extra red eye. So what, what do you
1: suggest that they would, say, one of the camera manufacturers would acquire, say, Pocket Wizard? or
3: Either that or just set a standard and say, you know, this we're building in a, a, a triggering mechanism, a, a little transmit that, you know, the signal is going to go out. Here's the specs for it. Anybody that wants to manufacture something that
4: can receive that can go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, they, there's they, actually a are- precedent well I'm sorry that was going to say there's precedent for that because Saconic teamed up with the pocket wizard there's a little tiny seonic module or a pocket wizard module you can put in the Sakonic, uh handheld meters like the one i 've got that actually will trigger the pocket wizard systems that way so when you're you're doing flash metering in a studio you don't have to have a sync cord you know, attached to your flashing like that you can actually trigger all your pocket wizards from your handheld meter yeah that's interesting how that's a, that's
1: a good point how is how is this technology going to further change the necessity to have a handheld meter and and will it
4: well my question for Steve a moment ago I haven't read the Galbraith article in detail yet do you know Steve whether uh, the ratio controls are going to be at the transmitter end like there would be if you were using the you know the flashes themselves because I know with my Canon flashes like my 580 or my SDE2 I can actually set AB or AB and C ratios for the slave flashes Um, I'm wondering whether that transfers over somehow
2: I'm not entirely clear. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, from looking at the the mini uh, TT1 uh, that goes on the, the camera to trigger, and you can actually put a flash on that if you wanted, um, it doesn't appear that you'll be able to necessarily set the ratios there. Um, but but it, it does have a plug-in, a USB plug-in that will allow you to connect with your computer. So I, I suspect, you know, for future firmware upgrades to that technology, I mean, it, it's it's kind of an exciting uh, thing. Uh, again, I haven't played with it, and I haven't, as as you said, really uh, gone over the reviews. But I think if listeners are interested, uh, there's plenty of information out there to to investigate.
1: Absolutely. Another thing in the news today, uh, Canon has announced their new Studio Solution software, which is a a, a piece of software that combines scheduling, contracting, invoicing, image capturing, uh, ordering, some rudimentary retouching and printing all into a single program. Now, do you, do you guys, the Canon shooters, do you guys think that you would, in a pro setting, Embrace something like this, because in in my experience, people have typically hobbled together all sorts of things to do all this stuff. Like for the, for the scheduling, they may use, you know, Outlook or Entourage, and for invoicing, they may be using uh,
0: Quicken or QuickBooks or something like that. Do you think they need everything in one like this? I think that 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 what they really should have done is built a great capture system for their camera. <laughs> I mean, I mean you, know, you know like like let's stop worrying about scheduling contracting. I I get that some some uh I, I don't mean to be so rough about it but but I just uh, you know I get that some uh, some uh, you know someone thought that this would be a good business idea and and, and it might be uh, but the thing is is that what people really need is for it to integrate well with QuickBooks or or whatever they're using. The big thing is is that you know, if they're going to spend the money to do all the software development, you know, give people full access. I mean, have a great HDR control program uh, in, mixed with, you know, great exposure stuff and, and with a great interface and a great front end and, and all these other things that really make it easy and fun and, and powerful to use your camera with a computer. It doesn't seem like, um, you know, anybody is doing that very well.
3: Uh, yeah, you know. that's, I mean, that, that's my concern with all this, right? Is, you know, these guys are hardware manufacturers, and I have yet to see a really good software solution to come out of one of these hardware manufacturers. And, either, you know, in, in some situations where they do, it's almost always something they acquired, like the Nik software with Nikon. Um, you know, maybe, and maybe they acquired this. Maybe it was something where somebody had done this and Canon just decided to acquire it and put it out there. And that would make a lot more sense. But generally, I agree, Alex. It's like, I, I want Canon to be concentrating on giving me really good hardware. Yeah. On, on the or, business, or,
2: or, just to play devil's advocate on this, I, I think that you know, on the business side, photographers, that's it's you know, for many of us, it's kind of a weak link. And and though these studio solutions exist, they're often quite expensive and maybe even too elaborate for for most photographers to to want to invest in uh, that you know don't have a major operation or a big studio. So so this this might be something that people um, would get and and actually use because it's not something that they they would normally have so the idea of something that controls the invoicing and so on and so forth Uh, and I think in terms of capture I mean you know it's true the the, the 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 manufacturers are not necessarily the the number one you know photo processing uh, softwares that people are using, uh, you know they're maybe using Lightroom or Aperture and, and all the other ones. So yeah. you know it, it could be it could be worthwhile. We'll have to see what it is. It's and a, maybe
3: and, and uh, if it does a, yeah if it does a good job you know and, and fills a need I'm not saying I'm not trying to say it's a, a bad thing. I'm just sort of skeptical that someone like Canada is going to be able to produce a great piece of software but you know I'm happy to be proved wrong
1: yeah well before we continue that conversation let's uh, take a second to uh, acknowledge our sponsor for the
0: week it's uh, audible at audible.com Uh, and Alex, you want to give the details of what the sponsorship is? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Audible is, uh, you know, one of our, one of our fine sponsors that we sponsors a bunch of our different shows, uh, audiblepodcast.com slash twip is where you can go to get a free book if you haven't done it already. Um, and if you, if you haven't, it's free, it's free. All you have to do is go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. Of course, there's over 50,000 titles that you can choose from. Uh, uh, we have, we have one, I think Ron has one for today. What, no, what, what
3: is your, uh, I'll do one. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I listened to this. This is, this is a long one. It's, uh, I believe, 32 hours. Oh, and, um, 32 hours? Longer
1: than
2: the Spartans. <laughs> it's yeah, than it, the Spartans. Uh, oh.
3: Yes, it's a good one. Um, it's Neil Stevenson's Anathem, science fiction book. And um, it was a great one to do on, Audub- on, on Audible. I, uh, it ended up sort of being my, my bike ride companion uh, when I managed to get out and get a little fresh air. And uh, it's just one of those things where you totally lose yourself in it. It's uh, sort of set in this uh, alternate uh, world where uh, Stevenson has developed a whole lot of you know, alternate technology and, and even language and stuff. Uh, and it's a great one to listen to because you, you sort of get immersed in it and you just kind of let yourself dive into it. But there's a lot of, you know, Neil Stevenson is one of those guys that really lets, um, you know, ranges far afield as he's writing. And so it covers a whole variety of technology, including some really interesting looks at uh, Alternate uh, things related to photography, even so, it's it's somewhat pertinent to the show.
2: And I'm I'm really looking forward to listening to Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell that I downloaded a couple of months ago from um, Audible. <laughs> so I'm going to be. I think is I'm that... going to start that sometime this year for sure. <laughs> right.
0: Well, that, that's the this is the, the new one now that the Drobo's uh, you know taken care of. Uh, yeah. Our new thing is, our is monthly yeah. update with uh, <laughs> Steve's Audible listener.
2: You know, I'm going to make some time. I'm going to make some he time. He got it.
0: Sure. Maybe next week he's going to get it on the iPod. <laughs> Steve, it's it's baby steps, right? Exactly. <laughs>
2: hey, it's
1: not about speed, it's about quality, right? So, you know, just, just get these little puzzle pieces of your digital life put together and, you know, you'll be happy.
0: So, continuing all in, in the news. Um, I want- Just a reminder, as we get to the end, of course, Uh if you want to get any of these books or if you want to uh, check that out, make sure to go to potable, Audible, potable, (laughs) it's potable water, Uh, audiblepodcast.com slash twip. I'm registering that domain
1: right now, potable.com, potable.
0: No, no, me (laughs) first.
1: I'm going to beat you. (laughs) You have to host. I can just sit here and just, and, and and, uh, register it. I I have an assistant here that's doing it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm morphing it to someone else. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, to continue in the news, oh, we've got a couple more things I want to hit on before we jump into that interview. Um, mm-hmm. Canon is shipping new lenses. It's always exciting when Canon ships new glass or when any of these guys ship new glass because it's the glass is always good, um, typically. But uh, they're shipping a new 17 millimeter, a 24 millimeter uh, a 17 and a 24 millimeter tilt shift lens or lenses in May. Now, uh, I've seen from my perspective, I had now a chance to play. What do,
0: what do people? What do people use tilt shift lenses for?
1: Um, you know, I the designed use from my perspective is. No pun on no plan words intended, but is to correct perspective or the uh, what they call keystoning, I guess, when you're like, for example, when you're taking a picture of a skyscraper and you look up at it and it sort of diminishes and turns into a triangle, uh, you can correct against that and make it back and, and shift it back into a rectangular type form. So to correct against that, some creative uses are, for example, a photographer, Vincent LaFerré that does a lot of stuff where you can control depth of field really creatively with tilt-shift lenses so you can make people appear to be really, or crowds and and large objects appear to be really small by playing around with the depth of field. Uh, okay. What do you guys think? What are the what yeah. different uses?
3: Quite- yeah, I was, was going to say, that's the, that's the difference between the tilt and the shift part of it, the the uh, tilt is what lets you play with the, the depth of field uh, because it just sort of changes the focusing plane. Yeah. And the shift is what uh, it lets you sort of mess with the perspective because you're offsetting the, the lens from the sensor in a certain direction. And again, yeah, that's, that's really common for architectural photography, for instance, where you don't want to have um, stuff get you know, noticeably smaller as it recedes in the distance. They're really neat, fun lenses to play with. They're also really expensive
1: Yeah, twenty one (laughs) ninety nine and twenty four ninety nine for the seventeen and twenty four respectively. So
2: another another really cool use that I've seen um, is in portraiture where you can really play around with you know what you have in focus. You know, on the face, for example, just keep those eyes really sharp and kind of blur everything else out. And as well, um, I've seen it also uh, used using the uh, shift. uh, You know, for doing uh, panoramics that are later stitched together because you can be Mm. accurate. By shifting um, the, the the front lens plane and, and taking several shots, so um, it gives you you know an absolute same perspective on each of those single images without um, you know the like you said the the lines being distorted. So it it, it can be good for that too. But also um, you know you can't use autofocus with these lenses. Um, you also you also have to kind of manually meter. My understanding is I've played with one. Um, just once, and I'd, I'd love to to play more with it. But uh, they're they're much more deliberate and difficult to use than your typical um, lens for a lot of reasons. But even when it comes to metering and focusing,
3: I, I think the new ones meter now, so that's cool.
1: So you got half of that.
3: So yeah, you, can, you okay. can do it. But yeah, la- the last one I played with the the focusing was it didn't autofocus, but I'm not sure.
1: So Aaron, Aaron, uh, what would be the difference between say spending? two thousand four hundred ninety nine dollars on this 24 millimeter 3.5 and spending a couple hundred dollars on a lens baby composer
4: wow (laughs) not having used either (laughs) from reading the specs thanks for putting me on the spot there yes i love doing that i love doing that (laughs) Hey, I was listening this time. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to get you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually very intrigued with these tilt shift lenses. I'm, I'm going to rent a set of these uh, uh, from Lens Rentals in May, I believe, or as soon as they've got them in stock. Because uh, I've been eager to try them, especially since I've seen... Uh, some really fantastic photography with them where where the scenes look like dioramas or models uh particularly when they've assembled them into time-lapse videos with music and so on it's just been amazingly creative stuff so i'm i'm eager to get my hands on on one or both of these to try at some point in time, and, um, and I'll get a hold of a lens baby and give them a whirl. So I will report back on the difference. How about that? There you go. Going cool. to to the yeah, future. Just, I mean, from.
3: just just the 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 lens baby is a uh, is a tilt lens, but not a shift lens. So it's it's still on axis kind of stuff. I mean, it's you know it's tilting it, but it's not shifting relative to the image plane.
1: Right. You're just plain, you're Baby's changing the plane of focus. Right. That's it. Right. So you can get those Baby's focus eight eight effects.
2: Oh, I was just going to say the lens baby is made more to distort and have fun with the the interesting distortion you get as opposed to correcting um, things. Right.
4: Also, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, with the lens baby, do you not get spots of focus versus a tilt shift where you actually create a like a side to side band, you know, of focal point as far as your depth of field. Am I correct? You that?
3: Should, you should be able to get somewhat of a band on the lens baby, though, because you are kind of tilting it. But yeah, it may also it may be a limited band because you're just generally sort of get the vignette out of focus on the lens baby. I'm not totally sure either.
4: I, I, I will let you know in the future. All right, you got a homework assignment. All
1: right, coming up, uh, uh the, and then this, this next piece I was really interested in. And the folks on the panel who are planning on or have purchased a 5D Mark II will be interested in this. So BNH has published an audio recording options guide for that camera. And click on that, clicking on that link. I was looking at some of the images in there. It, it, it's, it's sort of a, is it, we're in a new sort of paradigm now with these, the, with the SLRs that can record this high definition video that you, Definitely need to have a high definition or really good quality audio whip, but they just look crazy with this audio gear attached to the top of them. <laughs> it just, it just, it just does yeah. not look right with a big shotgun or the. What was the other one I saw in there? Erin uh, is like, there was one in there called a dead kitten or something.
4: Well, it reminds me of some of uh, Stu Mashowitz's mock back a while ago. Uh, Maybe before the 5D came out, where he was, you know, we're talking about video and and still photography coming together. Where they had these had these great images on there of these cameras assembled from, you know, parts that just seemed completely unrelated. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) Alex, what do what do you think about that? I mean,
1: overall, just being able to having the option of shooting high definition video on your 5D Mark II is one thing. We've talked about that, but. People say that
0: having good audio is just as important. Is this the right tool for the right job? Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, these aren't the solutions that I would probably pick. They're great handheld solutions or great ones that you're roaming with. The, the, uh, and, and I think that they work. I think that the, the thing that um, I would do is probably take advantage of – I mean, they're going the right direction, and it's great that they're mounted. But most of the thing, most of what I would use a Canon for. The problem with still with all of these um, cameras is that there's a slower. Uh, the CMOS is you know scanning. So if you move the camera a lot, uh, what, what I noticed when I tested the uh, when I played with the 5D is if I move the camera a lot, it'll actually jump whole frames. You know, so because it's it's this um, the way the shutter scanning. Yeah. And so it doesn't handle handheld or a lot of movement really, really well. And so what I'm looking at, the the reason that I was looking at a 5D uh, was specifically the idea of doing these killer interviews where the background is really soft and you can talk to people and you're going to have it on a tripod. Well, most of the time when I'm doing that, I don't really want the – I'm not going to want the uh, mic sitting on the camera. I'm going to have it on either a boom or I'm going to have it on a, a mic, you know, a lav. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so uh, doing that, what I really want is um, an XLR input, just a general XLR input that I can pop into the bottom of the camera. And to me, the best solution for that is like a beach tech box, you know, where you could, it's, a, it's an interface that doesn't, a lot of what these little um, converters are doing, and you could probably get away with what they're showing there, the, pierce, the Pierstone um, LMT100, which is an XLR to eighth inch jack, what the what is added uh, and I think a lot better for production is if you throw, and it mentions the beach tech in here, it just doesn't show it in the pictures, Mm -hmm. but the beach tech will let you pop it onto the bottom and, um, and and it sounds like they're building one that's, um, the beach tech is actually building one specifically for the 5d. Um, And you'll be able to pop it in and then you can just pop mics into it and you can control their volume or, you know, analog on the outside of the beach tech box rather than um, uh, needing to have this uh, uh, needing to, you know, um, go straight in, and the reason for that is that you don't want to be using that camera to try to deal with all the audio. The one thing I will say is, if you're using video on this and you want to do anything professional, the audio is as important or more important than the video. Yeah, uh, when you're putting stuff up, when you're posting stuff online, uh, and and this is the thing that saves a lot of our productions uh, when we're especially when we're doing stuff, you know, around is that we spend a lot of time, more time than the average video company. Uh, paying attention to audio because we know that that's important. We know that the video can get beat up and do all kinds of crazy stuff and no one will care uh, if the audio is nice and clean and people can't watch something that has bad audio generally. I think one of the big
1: takeaways from everything you just said here in this last couple minutes, Alex, is that photographers are yeah. you know as a photographer Welcome to the whole new world. There's a whole lot of stuff that you need to learn if you're planning on shooting HD video
4: with your camera. If if you want audio with it, so it's, it's, it's nice. just the dawn of using your SLR with big like Princess Leia earmuffs on. You know, as you're yeah. having to listen totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be as simple.
1: It's not going to be as simple as I'm shooting a wedding. Now I want this scene in HD. Just a flip of the thumb, and now I'm shooting. HD video that I'm going to give to the bride. It's not that simple, right?
4: Hey, Alex, what about out, outboard audio? I mean, there's no time code mechanism is there for syncing, so it's got to be done on the camera? Or?
0: Well, you, you know, the, the, thing, the thing to realize is you can always go back to uh, do, doing it the old-fashioned way, which is that you get a little slate. You yep. know, you get, and there's, and, um, and uh, so you get a little slate that lets you, uh, you, you just, um, that's what the slates are for. I mean, that's why you see them and part of the reason. I mean, they put information in there, but the big thing for a slate is that you need, you get a sound print, you, you slack it together, you, you know, you clack it together, and, uh, and you get a, you'll get a punch on the sound waveform. And you'll see it close at the same time, and then that you can use that to sync in your in your video application very very quickly. I mean, it takes five minutes to to sync it up. So you can always record separately to something like a Zoom H4. We record uh, to a Sound Devices seven hundred two T, and that is crazy overkill. It costs as much as your Canon camera, um, but it, it's it's a great it's a great recorder. But the the H4 is probably three hundred bucks or four hundred bucks, and uh, you could definitely use that as a separate piece to make that work.
1: Cool. Yeah. All right. We've got a lot of more a lot more news in here to cover. I think we may have to table this because we're going a little long. Let's yep. uh, jump into the picks of the week real quick and blow through these really quickly. So I'm, each one of you, maybe a minute on your pick of the week, and then we'll, we'll keep the show moving. Mine is... Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the Flickr Twip Critique Group, uh, which we're all guilty of not having spent enough time in, and I've committed to to carve out some time to go in there and, and poke around and comment and, and generally act crazy. But, uh, yeah, that's my pick of the week. And you can access that from twipphoto.com. There's a link there to, to find that twip Flickr critique group. And that's my pick. Alex, what's yours? So I
0: I went a little expensive, um, today. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) So, and it's just cause I just bought one and I really like it. Mm -hmm. Um, this is something that if this is something you use more in a professional video world, uh, but it is just a great tool. And if and if you have the resources, I so recommend it. Uh, uh, it, it. This is a it's called a Chroma Dumond chart, and it's made by DSC Labs. And I think Ron probably is the one that would be the most uh, familiar with this. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And uh, so what you use this for is to really sync up how the color uh, resolution. Uh, but primarily, color is working, and, and how accurately the color of your camera is operating. Uh, sometimes you can rent these from a um, uh, from a video rental shop. Uh, you can rent them from them or see if you can borrow one. Uh, they are expensive; they're seventeen hundred dollars um, for Oof. the full sized uh, piece. They're very, very accurate. The one that I have, you know, came. I bought a stand with it, and I have um, a what's called a cavity black, which means it'll open a little box behind it so you can see pure black. And the thing that it really does is it really lets you dx issues that you're having. Uh, you know, wh- is your ca- where your camera set, what the matrix looks like, and this becomes very important. I'm testing like six cameras right now uh, video cameras in the office and and so I needed to have this here and it's just that when I, I I usually only have the luxury of this when we bring a, uh, a DIT in so someone who's doing the is a technician who's this is their job generally they all own one and so I usually only get access to one when that, that's happening and I, and I was too cheap to, um, to buy it uh, and then I finally had to break down and buy it because we needed to do enough tests and I knew that we needed to do ongoing tests it's also great when you're matching, trying to match cameras to something else. So if you put this in front of your camera every time before you do different shoots, uh, you have enough uh, points to refer back to that it, it, it becomes much easier for you to um, find your way back to matching two different photos or two different video signals together. Uh, it's probably a little bit overkill, but the other thing to know is that when you go to DSC Labs in general, um, and this is just a uh, you know whether you decide you, you're interested in, in that chart, which is a pretty heavy end chart. There are tons of camera focus charts. Um, they have uh, ones that'll hang by your you know hang around your neck, little focus charts, uh, all the way up to huge focus charts. Um, and these this is just a great location, uh, DSC Labs in general, to find lots of these um, lots of different options there. That uh, if you're looking to to really research your camera, uh, this is uh, a great website to uh, check out.
3: Excellent. It's cool stuff. back Back when I was working, back when I was spending Apple's money, and we were doing some stuff on Aperture, I uh, I bought quite a few different little test charts off of there. Yeah. Very, very. very. You, use
1: other people's money as the takeaway from that, Ron.
3: Definitely the takeaway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Steve, what's your what's your pick of the week?
2: Um, my pick of the week is uh, a short film done by photographer um, Zach. Uh, is that his first name? Anyway, it's Zarias.com, dot com. Z a r i a s. Dot .com it's called transform and i think he put this thing together he was a guest blogger on scott kelby's site but it's uh it's a uh, it's a uh, really kind of personal and provocative and and uh, an and interesting look at one photographer's sort of uh, internal struggle to kind of you know improve and get better and it, it's very touching and uh, I think that uh, anyone that sees it especially us guys as photographers um, would uh, see a lot of ourselves in, in some of the struggles that uh, he has uh, come up with as he continues to you know balance being a professional photographer with Finding his own personal vision and working on his personal stuff. So it was. Uh, I think it's time well spent. It's uh, it's a few minutes, but uh, uh, I was really uh, quite uh, impressed with it.
1: Excellent. And Mr. Mailer, what's your uh, what's your pick?
4: Um, my main uh, photo bag that I use for when I'm hauling all of my gear around somewhere is a Think Tank rolling bag, which I absolutely love. But when I'm going out on a you know, I'm out for a day or something like that, or say when I go up to DC for a day and I don't want to take all that with me. Uh, the bag that I've started to use now is a Tamrack Velocity 9X, and it's what's called a sling bag. Yeah. I've always found that I'm partial to backpacks, but I always find that I tend to use a backpack just on one arm, which is what they're not really designed for. Yeah. A sling bag, however, is... is- is designed to actually go across your back at an angle and balances the weight nicely f- for using it as kind of a one-arm type of, of carry. But the beautiful thing is it's on your back as a backpack, but when you need it, you can sling it under your arm to the front, and the lid opens away from you so that you can then take items out of it, close it back up, and then you know kind of swing it around to your back again. So it's really, really comfortable. It's just about the right size. I've actually managed to cram... You know, two bodies and a couple of lenses in this uh, from time to time, which kind of defeats the purpose, I guess, from a weight standpoint. But um, I always find myself taking more than I really need when I go somewhere. But uh, I highly recommend it if you're looking for a comfortable bag, if you like backpacks, you want quick access to it, you want something that rests very comfortably on your back and, and balances nicely across your shoulders, then uh, the Tamarack Velocity 9X is a really good choice. Yeah, I'd have to agree with
1: that. With the on the on the sling side of thing, I use a, a bag from Low Pro. That's I think it's called Sling Pro. I forget what the the actual model is, but it's that same kind of feel where it's a backpack with a cross that goes sort of diagonally across across your chest in the front, and when you need it to, when you need to access gear from it, you just sort of. Do the little motion and and f- bring the bag part to the front, and it's horizontal to the ground in front of you with a lid that live lifts li- lifts open that you can then access your gear and your lenses and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of those. And Mr. Uh, Brinkman, I know you've been chatting, but what's your uh, what's your tip? I and mean, you have an official one.
3: Yes, I do. Um, I, I know I've mentioned in the past using uh, extension tubes to give you sort of macro capabilities on your existing lenses, so it's just basically just these little devices that sit between your camera body and your lens, push your lens out a little bit and effectively change the focus distance and You can take a nice good lens like the 50 millimeter prime, stick an extension tube on that, and turn it into a macro. Um, there's a few different options on this. You can buy them from Canon, and they're still rather expensive. You can buy them from somebody like Kenko, which is what I have. Uh, but you're still going to end up spending you know, over 100 bucks for a set of these. You want a set so you can sort of get different lengths. But I was kind of poking around mostly because, you know, you look at these things, there's not much to them. There's no glass in them. All of this is something that pushes out the lens. Um and I was just like, man, that just seems still too expensive for what it is. So I poked around a little bit, found this uh, site called Deal Extreme, uh, dealextreme.com. And they actually sell some, you know, very cheap plastic ones for a total of $9.94. And so I ordered them. I wouldn't recommend these had I not uh, actually purchased it myself. And um, they work. So, you know, at some level, I mean, they're a little bit, but what they don't give you is any kind of aperture control. But uh, you know, for ten bucks, kind of a handy thing. Wow,
1: ten bucks! Wow, and that so. And I'm just a little confused about how that works. So if I that just goes between the lens and the body, and once that's installed, you get what? How many X magnification?
3: Well, it's I'm not even sure how the numbers end up working, but it effectively changes your close focus distance, so you can really put stuff up like right in front of uh, in front of the lens, and effectively, you know, end up getting uh, you know getting a good macro off of it. Uh, totally worth playing with, you know. For that, the 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 one trick is that the um, these have n- you know no electronic connection to the lens itself. So even the aperture setting, you no longer can do that. But the trick is, at least on a Canon, if you hold down the uh, depth of field preview button while you're taking the lens off, mm-hmm. it sets it to whatever it was. It keeps it set at whatever it was. Yeah. So you can kind of dial in whatever uh, aperture you want to preserve as much uh, depth of field as possible. Uh, pull it off that way, and then put this extension tube on there. And you've got a little ultra-cheapy macro. Excellent. And and it is coming from Hong Kong, so it takes a few weeks to get there. But mine arrived, no problem.
1: Yeah. There's there's a ton of questions I have on that to ask, but uh, I'm going to save them in the interest of time, and I'll ask them later. Um, But uh, the the, the next thing I wanted to chat about was the photo assignment and the current poll. So we're in week three of the reflections assignment. And again, I want to remind folks that you can head over to the Flickr discussion and critique group to uh, comment and post and sort of generally participate in helping other twippers uh, get better as photographers. But uh, that, that's, that's the current poll or the current assignment that's going on right now is, the, is on reflections and interpret that as you will. And the poll, the latest poll that we have up is, is there a tradition of photography in your family? And the uh, possible responses were, yes, a close family member is or was a professional photographer or not as a profession, but a real passion for photos in my fam in my family's history. Or no, I'm the first to really be serious about it. And surprisingly, that last one, no, I'm the first to be really serious about it, is garnering about 59, almost 60% right now. Um, And coming in second at 33% is uh, not as a profession, but a real passion for photos in my family history.
0: I I think that that in in some ways that shows the new availability that these SLRs and all these cameras have made uh, for people using them. I mean, you used to to be pretty serious about it to get an SLR. I mean, you were really getting into photography if you were doing that. And now you know, I think ev- almost everybody in my family has one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same here. At least at least on their phone, right? So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I think everybody in my family, all the kids have an SLR. I don't think my parents do, um, but they don't need one because all of us have SLRs. Yeah. But uh, that's a lot different than it was, you know, in the family before, you know I mean? It, it'd be only the people who were really geeks would have an SLR. Everybody else would have little, you know, 110 AS, 110, remember that?
2: Yeah, yeah, 110.
0: Oh, 10 cameras.
2: If you took this poll, uh, you know, in 1999, I think the middle, you know, answer would be a, a much, much higher. So it really does reflect just how much photography is growing and serious photography because people are getting these digital tools and they're just taking off with it. They're seeing what they can do and and they can do so much. So it's uh, it doesn't surprise me so much.
1: Yeah, well, it's easier to share. It's easier to take them and it's easier to make interesting things out of them now i remember back when i was growing up there was also always a uh a camera in the living room sort of credenza drawer <laughs> so if something significant was going on you had to run and get the camera and take a picture or two and then throw it back in the drawer yeah so it was, it was always out of film or something but uh it was uh you know always sort of a not a okay everybody has a camera it was the camera was the go to thing if something
2: significant happened so yeah we're we've definitely shifted from that i used to have cameras that had like all four seasons on that roll of film that you'd eventually develop but you it's 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 amazing to me how how much i see people you know using their digital cameras as little sort of photo albums and just you know not downloading but just keeping you know all these hundreds of pictures and then just you know keep adding i don't i wouldn't recommend it you want to make sure you you back it up and download it, but right. uh, you know it's a good way to, to show off your, your your pictures to someone
1: absolutely so for the next poll we have uh, if you don't the topic of it is if you don't do paid photography work now, would you consider it given the opportunity and the possible answers are yes, and i 'd hope to make it my career if I could or yes, but only for a selected for a selected subjects that I enjoy or occasional work or no i fear it would take the fun out of the hobby i enjoy and lastly no i don't feel i have the skill to do this for money so those are the four choices please participate in our poll so we can get a an accurate core sampling of the twip audience and better understand how you are taking pictures and then now we're just going to sort of jump into this 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 part 2 of this rebecca interview that uh, I talked about at the top of the show. Um, continuing on in the, the, uh, the topic of the interview is uh, narcissism and the self-portrait, but she goes on to talk about lots of things pertaining to photography and her work in Iceland. Uh, particularly, we talk a little bit about how, what her gear is and why she chose the gear that she uses and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, yeah, I think you'll enjoy this part two of the Rebecca interview. <laughs> so, just I, wanted to, I had a couple questions just quickly about your gear again. And we talked about your your camera and the lenses, but on the software side and computer side, or what what operating system are you using, and and what sort of post processing software are you using?
5: Basically, I am using Photoshop CS3 at the mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. and uh, Lightroom, and um, I, I do all my editing on a Mac pro laptop using only the touchpad
1: <laughs> you don't use a mouse no no uh no. wacom tablet none of that no
6: none of it. You're and i kidding don't have any everything with the, ta- I, the
1: touchpad on the laptop that's amazing
5: and i don't have an external monitor that's like huge details i just do it all on my little laptop
1: um. now is that <laughs> is that because you have to or because that's just your process and how you want to work
5: I actually I try to avoid as much complication as possible. Um, it's the same with my with my gear. I, I I really want things simple if I can you know possibly have them simple. So I mean, for me, I just don't feel like you know amassing this large sort of workstation with all these. It's just it's just not my thing. Yeah, I'm I'm not really a technical person, and I only learn. Like that's like with my, my Photoshop skill. I mean, it's I'm way behind so many people that just work as graphic designers. I I, I mean, there are millions of things I don't know how to do in Photoshop, and um, I I just sort of learn things as I go along when I necessarily have to learn them. I would never have the patience to read a tutorial or watch a tutorial or or listen to someone give a lecture about Photoshop or try to teach me anything because I just I, I just I'd completely zone out and I'm like I'm not listening. I will learn this on my own way when I have have to yeah know?
1: yeah you learn by doing right <laughs> yeah.
5: so um i'm really you know this i'm really really untechnical really I, and there's so much i don't know and I, and and i think a, a lot of people probably think i i i do a lot more photoshop than i actually do um because i don't know i, I just have these a few tricks up my sleeve that i figured out and i don't explain to anyone you know because they're because i've done them myself and i've kind of yeah. you know and, and I think that's a really healthy part of the learning process, to, to learn in this way, to figure it out yourself and figure it out when you have to figure it out um, instead of trying to learn everything by the book at the beginning yep. and then remember how to use it because it just doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah, that's, that, um, I found the exact same thing. Every, you know, for me personally, learning things on projects that I care about tends to stick more than, you know, someone telling me some esoteric technique or something about light, you know, if I, if I, yeah, if you want to do it you put something, your heart and soul into learning a technique, it's going to stick, right?
5: Exactly. And this is so funny because, I mean, the, way, the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is because I get asked so many times, how do you do this and how do you do that and what kind of filter do you use to get that appearance? How do you get your colors so vivid? How do you get that muted appearance to blah, 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 and how do you get your sky to look like that? And I'm like, figure it out yourself. (laughs) Damn it. I'm not going to tell you all of this stuff. Are you crazy? (laughs) Exactly. Give me me
1: all your tips so I can make photos that look exactly like yours.
5: (laughs) A A classic letter would be, I just got a Rebel XT last week, and I really like your work. How do you make it? I mean... <laughs> I was like,
1: Rebecca, so- how do you make art? Could you tell me how to make art?
5: <laughs> yeah. I, I just... I don't know. Okay, if it's a 17-year-old girl in Columbia, I think it's really cute. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm really honored that she looks up to me or something. But if it's like some 35-year-old guy in Wisconsin, it's not the same thing. Yeah. I'm thinking, you're lazy. You're lazy, and you really need to figure it out yourself. Yeah. Stop <laughs> bothering <me." laughs> So um, that's just me. I'm 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 real. I'm, I'm such a do-it-yourselfer, and I've always been really stubborn and obstinate about doing everything myself. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've never used an assistant for anything. Wow. So I spend a lot of time figuring out these really complicated ways of, of of creating scenes by myself, which would be so easy to do with like one or two assistants. But it's just like this sort of stubbornness or a matter of principle for me that yeah. you know I have to do it myself because it's I don't know it's more. Um, satisfying you know the, the finished outcome is more satisfying when you know that you really put a lot of effort into it
6: mm-hmm.
5: and and like I was saying about the Photoshop, which is I mean obviously I use it it 's a really necessary tool for me for you know kind of um, fine tuning and getting this appearance that I want you know from the picture sort of like if I was a painter, I would spend this extra amount of time you know working on the canvas until i 'm happy with it and it 's the exact same thing in the post processing. But it's really important to me to spend as much time as possible figuring out beforehand how is the best way to take this picture so that um, you know, most of it is done in camera. So basically you have the raw material from the camera and it doesn't need like, a great deal of work to be ready. Right. So that's basically the, my, sort of, my method of working. Um, I try to do as much as I can in camera because I I have this real, you know, respect for the medium, and for the, just the whole history of photography, and and everything that you actually can do, just with straight photography. And then the the Photoshop comes in as an, you know, sort of extra helper. That's, that's how I've always, I've looked at it. And I've I've sort of been kind of moving little by little into a little bit more extensive Photoshop work, um, sort of allowing myself to do that, Mm -hmm. because I've, gone the sort of the long way around, instead of just di- diving directly into just doing over over, over photoshopping everything. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I have very, very, um, you know, certain ideas about all this that um, yeah, I often argue with other people about.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I have these conversations with with uh, some, some photographer friends of mine about pixels and. The uh, the sacredness of pixels. You know, there's like two, there's more than two camps, but there's two main camps. There's the camp that says, you know, get it right in camera, don't crop, don't do anything to the image after you take it, and then the other side that says, you know, and I happen to fall on the other side that says, you know, pixels were born to be punished and push them around, push them around as oh, needed. A,
5: yeah, that's a, but really when you think about it, I was actually reading a really good um, chapter in a. The other day about digital photography. Um, when you think about how a digital camera generates an image, I mean, it's not the same thing as when you have a film and you have you know you have this light-sensitive film and then the light hits it in a certain way and the um, you know the chemicals rearrange themselves in a certain way and some of them get dark, some of them get light, and it's just something that happens completely without you know anyone coming near it. And it just it's and then you have the film and that's the picture. And then you can do a lot of stuff with it in darkroom. You can play around with it, and you can print it in a lot of different ways. Basically, Photoshop is just you know, it just comes from darkroom techniques, yeah. and it's and then you embellish on that. But a camera, which I mean, a digital camera, you you the the it captures light in the in the same way as a film camera, but the image is just a bunch of um, information stored as zeros and ones, mm-hmm. and you know, you put it into a camera and the. I mean, into a computer, and the computer changes this this information into an image, which is basically made up of these building blocks, you know, the pixels. Yeah. And you can just make one of these images completely without a camera. I mean, just CGI, you know, techniques that are you, so basically, you can with you know today's technology, you can create the exact same image. You know, I don't know how to do it, but I know a lot of people do. Yeah. So, so you have, you know, basically, you have this question: Why is this digital? photograph sacred because it can be reproduced completely without the aid of a camera yeah so you don't even need you don't even need the um, you know the thing that you're pointing your camera at you can actually just sort of make it up in a computer so um, I mean this is this is a really valid valid question and, and it's just it basically what we're up against is that you can't really believe photography anymore um, it started out as a as a medium for capturing the truth around you and and all of a sudden now you can't believe that anymore. Because yes, you don't um, know how much has been done to an image, and you don't know if it's fake, you know, completely fake, or if it's halfway fake, <laughs> or yeah. if it's only been tweaked a little. So you yeah. you have to just take the photographer's word for it. So yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Um, I it's, noticed,
1: it's and been, when it, one of your shots, you had a uh, uh, it was a self portrait of you with an apple floating uh, yeah. in the foreground, and you you explicitly called out the fact that it was not photoshopped. And I thought it's that was, hardly th-
5: photoshopped at all. It's just straight photography in its purest form. Wow, and because it is so easy to do, it annoyed me enormously that people <laughs> were calling me a liar and just refused to believe that, you know, you could actually just take a picture of an apple in midair. I mean there's nothing amazing about that.
6: Yeah, yeah. Nothing
5: at all. You know, it just happened to be the sort of the, the composition and the fact that it was completely in focus, you know, it just it took a lot of <laughs> tosses to get it right, obviously.
6: Yeah.
5: But um it's there's nothing amazing about it. And if you know just really simple things about how a camera works. You w- will have heard about shutter speed, and will realize that high shutter speed allows you to freeze things in midair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just <Yeah. laughs> a really basic thing that people were doing very, very many decades ago, and um, it was just I don't know. I mean, the image is really startling. I mean, it's still I, I still really love that image. I, I just because I had started out kind of tossing the apple to the side, so it was just kind of next to me, and there wasn't anything amazing about that. But then all of a sudden, one is in front of me, and I'm, you know, behind it, and not in focus, and apples and sharp focus, and everything. It just looks good. So, um, yeah, I I definitely had some first-hand experience with this whole doubt that everyone has towards photography these days, Um, and 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 it was very apparent from the discussion that evolved from that photo that uh, the majority of people will rather assume. That everything is Photoshop, rather than assume that the photographer actually knows what he's doing.
6: Absolutely, yeah.
5: And, and this was very. This was actually. This was in summer 2005 when I'd just been using Flickr for three months, and that photo was probably the first sort of breakthrough. You know, before the multiplicity, um, that, that photo really got a lot of attention and uh, was like on the front page of Explorer for like 24 hours, and, oh, wow. and it, it just became huge. And so. And that was a very, very interesting argument to get into with people. And and maybe because, you know, I I maybe seem like a bit of a hypocrite because sometimes... I fake it and sometimes I don't, <laughs> Yeah, and I can't always be, you know, standing next to the photo and saying, see, see, in this one, in this one, it's it's directly from the camera. You have to take my word, but in this one, I'm actually... But, you, know,
1: well, you know, in the end, you're not shooting photos for other photographers. You're shooting them for you and for people that are going to view them and enjoy them. So, right?
5: <laughs> so this is something, I, I mean, I really, it, it annoyed me so much, you know, because I wanted people to know how the picture was made, but when you really, when it really boils down to it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just the image and what, how it affects the viewer. And, and if somebody, you know, misunderstands how it's made, that's not going to be the major issue. Yeah. So that's something I had to sort of let go of, you know, just kind of let it, you know, it, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, people can just see it in the, the way that they want. Um, I mean, that's just part of, um, um, Maturing, I think, as an artist, you know, because that's something that you learn, especially like when you're in school learning about visual art, is that you can't hold, hold your artwork's hand. You can't just kind of follow it along and explain it all the time. You have to let it go and, you know, let the viewer decide.
6: Yeah,
5: absolutely. So, and that's, yeah, that's a difficult process, but one that I think I'm getting a little bit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now, when you when you shoot some of the the like, for example, the multiplicity series or even the landscapes, do you are you using a tripod or you're holding or is it just a mixture Stop of all with, that?
2: Always with tripod.
1: It's always with a
6: tripod.
5: Yeah, if, if I'm, you know, far enough away from the camera to be, you know, all of me in the frame, it's definitely taken with a tripod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if, if if my arm seems to be sort of reaching behind the camera...
1: <laughs> but I mean, probably... I know, of course, you got to put it on a tripod to get it in perfect <laughs> register, but, you know, are you using a like just a regular tripod or are you using one of the beanbag things or are you just, you know, you set it on sticks and you go...
5: <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, sometimes I actually find myself having forgotten my tripod, or I happen to have the camera but not the tripod in the car, and I see something unexpected, you know, some scene. So, some of my pictures are actually taken with a camera yep. resting on something other than a tripod. There you go. But so, but basically, I, I, I almost always have the tripod, and and um, because I, I am not, you know, a spontaneous sort of, you know, street photographer type person that always carries a camera around. Um. I generally just get it ready and take it with me when I have some sort of idea that I'm going to be shooting. Ah, okay. And so I'm generally, you know, prepared for that. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's you know, most of my pictures have been at least partly thought out. You know, not not necessarily like from some really exact idea, but you know, I'm I have some sort of vague idea what I'm about to do and you know, I just sort of set out with that in mind. Um yeah. So basically, I have a tripod, and I have a um, one of those cords that you s- plug into the camera. Mm-hmm. For, um, yeah.
1: Excellent. So, are you are you shooting in RAW? Or are you uh, yeah, JPEG? All
5: RAW.
1: Raw. Right. When did when did you make the jump to RAW? Was it when, with Lightroom? Uh,
5: very, right? very, very early on. Excellent. That was like, you know, late two thousand and five or early two thousand and six. Oh. Early two thousand and six, I remember January. <laughs> <laughs> January of two thousand six the world uh, changed for Rebecca. <laughs> I had this I had this problem with my the Photoshop I was using at the time. It didn't um the files the, the um the raw files were not being imported into my computer. And I had to I remember this really helpful guy on Flickr. I was I, I wrote to him and asked him about this and and he explained it all to me and then I had some guy, some teacher at school, who helped me figure it out and it was really actually really complicated for some reason and then when I finally realized what a raw file was, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't going any there wasn't any going back. I mean it's it's just you just do not have the same freedom with a JPEG. I mean much of my like for instance most of the early multiplicity shots and the Apple shot they were all just JPEG files. Mm-hmm. But um, with raw, you're able to um, <clears throat> get so much more. You know, play a, l- a lot more with with the the general appearance. Yeah, of the there's nature. more data
1: there for you to for you to pull detail out of, and highlights and shadows and all that, right?
5: It's absolutely. I would. You know, it's just. It's almost. It's not even a question somehow for me. So yeah. <laughs> so I was shooting raw. So I mean, it, uh, this is why my um. Computer and my two backup hard drives are absolutely crammed with images. <laughs> Every single picture is 15 megabytes, and that's before you start working on it. I mean, it's just wow. like—I mean, with this, you you start becoming a lot more selective about what you're photographing and which fake pictures you actually, you know, import into your computer. You're not going to mm-hmm. keep as many pictures as you do when you're starting out.
1: It's like because full circle I, back I, to the back to the film days again, just, right?
5: I'm nauseous at the idea of of, of um, importing like. 120 files of basically only five things. You know, so you have, like, yeah. 20 pictures of basically the same thing from a little bit different angles or something. <laughs> and th- this is, okay, this is a good point that I'm going to mention for, for people on Flickr who are actually trying to use Flickr in a um, useful way. Do not import pictures like that onto your Flickr stream.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you mean, like, duplicates with just, like, one one leaf move okay, kind of thing? Okay,
5: you have the title <laughs> of the picture is IMG uh, slash some number, yeah. which is directly from the camera, and then you have like the whole front page is just the same picture, and then you flip to the next page and you have like five more of the same picture, and then you have more uh, <laughs> a slightly different picture, obviously all taken at the same time, and it's just basically you just go out with your camera, take a bunch of pictures, and then just throw it all into Flickr, and you're not going to expect anyone if you're logical to yeah. want to look at that yeah those
1: no, are the those are the people that are saying this is what i shot can you please tell me which one is good right
5: yeah you have to do some selective editing before you show your stuff this is just a really really basic rule that i can very you know I'm very willing to share with people <laughs> so
1: what so yeah. on that on that what are you know what kind of tips can you give the, the beginning Flickr photographers to sort of increase the views other than you know, don't dump your memory card onto Flickr. It's <laughs> <Well, laughs> the
5: most important one, so now we got that down.
1: <laughs> well, you're not dumping your memory card. You know, you, you, you pick a hero shot, you retouch it, you put it up there, now what?
5: Exactly. Um, basically, okay, you've done your selective editing, you've decided you want to show this certain picture because you see something about it that you find interesting. Um, obviously, the tools that are helpful on Flickr is you upload a picture, then you add it to a group. Um, that in some way connects to the material that's in the picture. And you go around Flickr and you find other people's photo streams that are interesting and you comment on them. You don't comment on a picture where there's no comment and nobody's looking.
6: Mm.
5: Um, this is just how it works. You just make yourself slowly more visible and you build up a network of friends. And it just, if you're actually making good work, you will get noticed in some way. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't say or guarantee that, that, that people can get the sort of feedback that I somehow managed to get without really trying because I hardly ever commented on other people's photos and I hardly ever add, well, actually, okay, I'm lying. I, I added pictures to groups all the time, but, um, I was very, I was, uh, did a lot of that. It really does help. Um, because then your, your picture is no longer on your own photo stream, but it's in this kind of group with other pictures. Um, so that's definitely something people should do if they really want, you know, if they want this kind of feedback. Um, don't sit around expecting it to just come come to your door.
1: So um, shoot, shoot good work. Uh, yeah. Don't dump all of it on Flickr and participate in the Flickr community, right?
5: Yeah, that's basically how it works. Yeah. Um, I mean, there. Uh, you know, I I know that I was at some point uh, maybe. Two two years ago, I was like officially like the most popular Flickr user or something. Um, mm-hmm. There was actually some list, you know, number one, and I was like, "Whoa, shit!" Yeah, <laughs> you know. But I mean, since then, I've, I've because I've been using it less, and I've been deliberately sort of withdrawing in many ways. Um, I'm definitely not active on the site. I do not comment a lot of, on other people's work. I only like log myself in every other day just to check my mail, mm-hmm. and I upload maybe one picture a month these days. So, obviously, I'm not using it anymore in that way, but, you know, I've I've definitely learned a lot about how it works, and I've noticed quite a few other people who have become really big on Flickr, um, and have really been good at utilizing these same tools, and are basically using the same methods that I did. Um, Excellent. Yeah.
1: So then, okay. You know, this is a long interview, and thanks for taking the time.
5: But what? I think I think the red wine is helping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> your
5: red wine it and, m- and my coffee. <laughs> coffee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome.
5: No, you see, I'm supposed to be writing my thesis at the moment. You guys. <laughs> oh, we'll see. You're <laughs> thinking about it
1: talk- in the back of your mind while we're talking. <laughs>
5: yeah. Some of the stuff I'm talking about is actually part of what I'm writing about. So excellent.
1: So where where can people go to you know other than Flickr and we'll we'll post the Flickr uh, your link uh, in the in the show notes for this but where can people go to just sort of keep up with what you're doing?
5: Um, well, my um, I I've started directing people rather to my, my personal website instead of Flickr oh, because excellent. it basically because it, it's it's um, it's more selective. I only have like the pictures on there that I really want to show. You know, it's not it, It's not the same sort of photo blog thing that Flickr, especially my older work on Flickr. There's a lot of stuff on there that you know I'd. I I, do, I would not present to someone as my artwork. Right. Um, but my um, my personal website is. Um, it's not going to make much sense for me to just say it because nobody can pronounce <laughs> my name. <laughs>
1: well, we'll put it in the we'll put it in the blog post and in the show notes. But if,
5: if you say it with an American accent, it's RebeccaGoodleifs uh-huh, <laughs> but uh, I'll send it to you, you
1: yeah yeah, send it to me, <laughs> yeah, so just you know someone someone remarked to me I told them that I was going to interview you, and they wanted me to make sure that you said on the mm. air how to exactly pronounce your last name, so tell us for the record once and for all, how do you pronounce your pronounce your full name
5: I'm going to say my full name with an Icelandic accent,
1: okay uh, okay, you're ready I'm ready
5: <laughs> so you would say it um wow. Does okay. that sound like anything uh, <laughs>
1: other I would, than gibberish? I was going to say but that was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Actually,
5: a Canadian, a Canadian friend of mine, um, I was saying to her, like, um, okay, I'm going to have to dump my last name if I'm ever going to make, my, make, make a name for myself as an artist. This is never going to work. Right. And she was like, no, it's cute. It's like Goldfish Daughter. And I was like, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's that makes me feel a lot better. I think
1: you just go go do what Madonna did and just use the first name. You know, you'll you'll be known, known as V. Go go with V Rebecca. You know, that's it. V V. I mean,
6: Rebecca. I am the master.
1: There you go.
5: <laughs> actually, um, yeah, um, I tried googling myself sometime, and I actually was the first Rebecca that that showed up. And I was like, mm.
1: wow, with with just your first name R E B K K. Just my
5: first name with the K, because the K spelling is not as as um popular as the C spelling, you know, in, in, yeah. in other countries. But, yeah, with the K spelling, it was actually my, my, I think my Flickr page was like the first page that, the first hit for Rebecca. <laughs> and I was like, cool. That doesn't happen anymore because I've actually hidden my Flickr page from from um, uh, Google search. Oh, well,
1: and why, did, I, you, why I, did you do that?
5: I just decided to do it for a while, sort of hide myself just while I'm finishing school and, 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 and I'm working on a few projects that are, you know, that may, you know, evolve into something big and they may not, so I'm not going to mention them yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, and and these are have been in relation to uh, a certain individual in the States who is sort of into the art world. And he just mentioned that it might be helpful that, you know, I don't keep such a high profile on Flickr for the time being. I mean, yeah. it's something that i had been thinking myself anyway. So I decided to sort of just hide it a little bit for now.
6: Excellent.
5: But you know, it's still there.
6: Alright.
1: Yeah. Well we'll uh we'll we'll stay tuned and hopefully when when that big project launches you'll you'll come back on, we'll interview you about it.
5: Yeah, sure. I would if it if it turns out the way I'm hoping, I will be more than happy to talk about it. But I don't want to jinx it.
1: No, no. <laughs> say no more. Not, yeah. <laughs> You're getting close to that yeah. jinx level now, so don't talk about it anymore.
5: So basically what <laughs> it's about <laughs> See, this is what happens after a while. I always say I'm not gonna talk you see, I'm
1: I'm not I'm, take- I'm not even going full-board <laughs> journalist here. See, I would drag it out of you.
5: <laughs> uh,
1: that's
6: good. I decided
5: that's
1: good. good. <clears throat> well, well, Rebecca, thank you so much for taking the time out of your I'm sure busy evening to chat with me.
5: I'm knitting while I talk, so I'm actually getting something done.
1: <laughs> okay. And we're back. That was Rebecca. So uh, please do check out the show notes for links to her personal work and her blog. And also, I think we put a link in there to her Flickr stream, which has some really interesting pictures in there, particularly the uh, the series that launched her, her career on Flickr uh, is her multiplicity series. And she's gone on to do some really amazing things like we talked about in the interview with long exposures and landscapes and that sort of thing. So give it a look. And on to listener questions for the week. Uh, the first question up that I wanted to tackle is, um, there's a, I'm trying to find it in, in this list of questions. Uh, Aaron, there's a question in here about a sensor, about frying your sensor that I wanted to give to Ron. Can you, can you, <laughs> can you, can you perhaps read that one off?
4: Certainly. It's uh, from Luke Merrill, uh, Merrill, Merrill, I guess. Uh, so it says, with a DSLR, am I frying my sensor when taking shots directly into the sun? And uh, I think Ron definitely wanted to tackle this one.
3: <laughs> well, I, don't know. I just thought it was an amusing question. I mean, you know, at some level, you kind of think about it as this is exactly the scenario of when you used to burn holes in paper using a magnifying glass, right? Um, so, yes, conceivably you could do some damage if, especially you're doing some kind of a, a long exposure. I mean, just think about it. You've got whatever light you're con- uh, collecting at the front end of the lens is getting focused down to some very small pinpoint uh, on the sensor itself. Now, generally this isn't going to be a problem because the shutter opens and closes so quickly, but if you were to try to do a long exposure, or the other thing I would be concerned about is if you've set your camera up in a scenario where the sun is shining directly into the lens, uh, even if you're not triggering the shutter, that that little hotspot is going to be focusing on the blades, you know, on, on the shutter itself. And, um, you know, if, you, if you've if got that kind of a scenario sitting on a tripod where it's doing that, then you want to make sure you put the lens cap on so you're not going to burn a hole in the blades of the shutter. I mean, they are metal typically, but still, I, I'd be a little concerned. Yeah.
1: All right. Here's another question I wanted to tackle. I want to throw this one over to Steve Simon. Uh, listener Mark Dubore says, Hey folks, my name is Mark Dubore from Holland and I have a question for your Twit podcast. Namely, why does my trial version of Aperture, why is it not capable to sharpen photos or sharpen pictures? When I move the sharpen knob or or dot completely to the right. It makes no difference to the image. So do you have any thoughts on that, Steve? Is he doing something wrong or is there some sort of limitation in the application in the trial version? My understanding that the trial was exactly the same as the shipping version just with the time limitation on it.
2: I, I think that's true. And, um, you know, I don't have specifics in front of me, but I do know that um, the edge sharpen in aperture, which is what you want to be using for sharpening your images and not the sharpen tool, which was introduced uh, in an earlier version, um, it's made uh, to work uh, sort of within the limitations so that it doesn't over sharpen your image. So whereas when you if you're used to, for instance, uh, Unsharp Mask in Photoshop, of course, you can really go beyond what is considered, you know, less is always more, you always want to go a little less, and you don't want it to be obvious. Um, the thing about the aperture edge sharpen tool it 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 really does work and it works effectively. It's just you're not going to see. Um, the kind of uh, big difference that you would using the unsharpened mass slider, for example, as you increase the amount. So from that perspective, it takes a little bit of, of getting used to. So, But it, it, it sounded like from his question that he wasn't seeing absolutely anything, and, and that is not really true. I would just yeah, encourage him higher. to go to 100%, for example, to, to make sure that uh, he's just not missing something.
3: I think the other thing—it it is pretty subtle the way the defaults are set up—and there's just two controls under sharpening. Um, there's sort of the size of the the effect and the amount of the effect. If you play with the second one, you'll see a little bit more happening in there. So I bet he's just not seeing it because it's pretty subtle. The other thing I would uh, suggest is go into a zoom mode, so you're actually looking at uh, you know a non-sampled down image. So you're really looking at a one-to-one pixel. Uh, representation of the original image. And you'll see the the difference a lot more when you're looking at it that way.
6: Yeah.
1: All right, Steve, here's another question for you. Sorry to put you on the spot again. Uh, Listener Brendan says he's about to travel to South America and Mexico, and he's concerned about getting his gear stolen. Uh, He's got a D300 and a video camera. He's wondering, is there any type of traveler's insurance that he can get specifically for his camera gear?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's really important because I I hear this all the time. You know, people are going on a, a trip, a wonderful trip to some foreign place, and they have great equipment but they're not going to take their equipment because they're afraid that something's going to happen to it. I think, you know, that fear is often, you know, exaggerated and the reality is you you invest in these tools because, you know, that's the best opportunity to use them. You're going to be in this great new s- situation with all kinds of, you know, amazing photo opportunities. So you don't want to, you know, be afraid to take your equipment. So on that front, you want to make sure it's it's completely insured and I don't know of any real temporary insurance that is going to cover you, but if you're a photographer, hobbyist, um, and you have house and home insurance, I would phone my insurance um, agent and and explain the situation and tell them you're going to take this $7,000 worth of equipment and you want to make sure it's um, insured for replacement value. And they can often, depending on who you're... Insure is uh, put a, a rider on it, so even for that time that you're there, you pay a fee and you can have it insured. Um, if you're a professional photographer, then um, you you can't sort of get away with you know insuring your equipment um, on your sort of home insurance. Generally speaking, because if if you know the worst happens and you lose and you have a big claim and they start to investigate and find out you're a professional, um, they they may not pay. So um, one one way to do it is to you know look into the these organizations like the National Press Photographers Association or ASMP if you're a little more professional. Um, so I, I think everyone can be covered. What, if you're an amateur on your home insurance or if you're professional, um, it, it, it does pay to, to insure your equipment if you're going to you know, bring all this stuff all, all over the place all, all the time.
1: Excellent. Thanks a lot, Steve. All right, and uh, I'm going to take one more question in here, and it's about light. It's from listener Rich, and he says it seems that when it comes to photography, light is critical. Surprised? Uh, Can you recommend books that deal with lighting, both natural and artificial? Aaron, you have any? Uh, you want to throw anything in there?
4: Uh, well, I do have. Um two suggestions Uh, just they're books I happen to own so I'm not going to say there aren't other great selections out there but two I can just recommend by title and author Uh, one is called Minimalist Lighting uh, by Kirk Tuck, and it uh, it focuses on use uh, predominantly of speed lights, uh, existing light, and so on, but how to approach light in general and using the, the least gear possible, and sometimes no gear at all, uh, for setting up a good shot. And then uh, the other is The Photographer's Guide to Light by Nigel Hicks, uh, which is a more of a broad topic on, on understanding light itself, um, both nature photography, studio photography, and so on. Neither of these are enormous books, but they're both very well illustrated as well. Uh, which I would say is important in a photography book. So uh, yeah. certainly ones to consider, and we'll put the links in the show notes.
0: And, and then I also have – I had one that I added uh, that uh, I, I snuck in there. Um, is the, and this one, by the way, if you're listening and you agree with me and you think that I have a good idea, you will need to order this the moment that you that comes to you because there's like ten of them available uh, <laughs> in the uh, world, I think.
1: More money from Alex. <laughs> not a new
0: no, this is not a new uh, not not a new series. This is a very old series not an old series, but probably fifteen years old. And not in print. Um, so you can see them on Amazon, but there's like ten left here and five left there. And it's called the Pro Lighting Series. I don't know if, if anyone's ever picked up any of these. Um, to me, this is the thing that I'd love to go back and reproduce it with new media or something, which is what they did is they they'll show you a real product product shot or glamour shot or interior shot and then they show you a diagram of where all the you know where all the things were so where all the lights were and what was you know there it's simple diagrams and you see the image and you can connect it and i know that when i got into uh, doing 3d product shots uh, i bought this one book and it was the kind of my my secret manual on because i would just literally build a 3d version of that lighting <laughs> and uh you know to, to make it and it would look just like it and if you really want to do great product shots is the best one there's product shots and new product shots um those are the two that are my favorite but there's interior glamour um uh portrait and it's just great to just get this raw, this is how this is made, you know, and you see the, the result of it. Uh, you can learn. I, I found that I could learn very, very fast. Lots of pictures, not much text.
1: So there's a... I want to add one quick one on there. And this is a sort of a geeky book on light. And it's called Light, Science, and Magic. It's published by Focal Press, by uh, Phil Hunter and Paul Fuqua. It's an introduction to photo photographic lighting. And it goes into... Just the fundamentals of light And I, I love this book Because it's just sort of it, Light, if, if one thing it's constant It's going to be the light Your gear, your flashes Your whatever, your bags Everything is going to change But light is always the same This book doesn't talk about Any of that stuff All it talks about is The properties of light Whether they be specular, diffuse um, How fast does light travel What is what is direct reflection Versus you know, it, all that little Sort of geeky stuff That you should be great if you just had built into your brain as a photographer, it talks about that. So, I'm, uh, if I can absorb maybe two percent of this book, it'll, it'll make me a much better photographer. So, I would I would highly suggest that, and we'll throw a link to this one in the show notes as well.
3: I'm going to second you that. Also, uh, you can also buy my book and read the first two chapters. <laughs> <Look at that laughs> there you go. <laughs> what, I'm just saying. What is that? What is that book run? That'd be the art and science of digital compositing. There you go. Yeah.
1: I think we'll link to that one as well, Rod, if we're not linking to it already. Oh, okay. <laughs> as if you need more followers. Uh-huh. right? Uh, what were you going to say, Aaron? Aaron do oh, you- I'm,
4: I'm sorry. I was just I'm going to second that, that title you mentioned as well. I, I don't know why I didn't include that myself because I have a copy sitting right over here. The Light but Science uh, and Magic book? Right, and but, as you pointed out, it 's also a far more technical book focusing more on light, you know the science of light, so to speak, so yeah. um, the two I recommended I would certainly suggest for photographers in general, but the one that you mentioned as well is 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 fantastic, so' it's kind just, of the just Bible quickly
2: up. just quickly to add uh, you know in, in sort of honor of these new um, um, Got oh, God. Uh, Flash Wizard, Pro Wizard. What are they called?
1: <laughs> oh, Pocket Wizard. Yeah.
2: Pocket Wizard, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe McNally, a former guest here at TWIP, um, has a new book coming out called The Hot Shoe Diary. So for those from the Strobus School that plan on taking advantage of... Uh, some of these uh, new things. Um, the Hot Shoe Diaries is something, I think it's coming out in March. I would hope that it might have this, these these new pocket wizards uh, as part of it, but uh, he's kind of the master of uh, those uh, small flash lights.
6: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. If
2: you're interested in that, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a good book, although it's still not out yet. Yep.
1: All right. Uh, coming up next week on the show, much more photography talk and jocularity, of course. Um, but the guest for next week is going to be Aaron Johnson. He's uh, you may not know the name, but you may be familiar, were familiarer familiar with his work. He's the creator of the What the Duck. Uh, comic strip which is at whattheduck.net or I think you can get to it at whattheduck.com and it's a uh, it's a very popular amongst photographers comic strip that sort of focuses on the daily life of this duck who happens to be a photographer as well and he gets into all sorts of situations so be sure to check that out in advance if you haven't already in advance of next week's show so you can know who you're listening to. And uh, the, the uh, I think we're we're gonna do a quick
4: listener submitted tip. And uh, Aaron, you want to take this one away? Sure. Uh, this one was submitted by uh, Kevin in Dallas, and uh, you know he's saying that a uh, good way to get better at shooting obviously is to shoot more but a lot of times as he points out here a lot of times have people have trouble finding ideas or forcing themselves to take the time. Uh, so I'll just read from his uh, submission here. He says, why not, why not hone your craft by doing some volunteer work? Our local Dallas chapter of Habitat for Humanity seeks out photographers both amateur and pro to photograph their uh, buildings and uh, dedication ceremonies and they offer a short training class for new volunteers to make sure everyone has the same starting point. And they use the photos for their own marketing materials and to share with the families and in many cases these photos may be some of the only family photos the family will actually own so i thought that was a fantastic point um he said you know you might want to check there's branches of habitat for humanity all over the place so there's probably one local to you and uh they may be doing something similar and if not you might get involved with helping them start it excellent
0: you know, I was thinking when I, when, I, when I read that, I, I was thinking that that might be another good thing. I know we haven't done any yet, but we've been talking about doing more photo shoots. Yeah. And that would be really fun photo shoots, you know, to, to do a photo shoot around a Habitat for Humanity or another uh, event that's a nonprofit of just getting a bunch of people together and really covering it.
1: That yeah, would be that's good. Yeah, focus, focus the power of a photo walk on something good, right? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Cool. All right, uh, that's the, we're we're coming to the uh, the end of the road here. So let's do the traditional where people can find folks. And so, Alex Lindsay, if they haven't found you already, you know, Alex, I'm you on know, the twitters. On the last show, you mentioned Facebook, and people have been messaging me on Facebook through my blog and everywhere else. How do I become a friend of Alex Lindsay? <laughs> so, <laughs> and I told them I don't know because Alex has not friended me on Facebook.
2: I didn't friend you. <laughs> Is Alex. there a fee involved, Alex?
0: Alex is yeah. not my friend on Facebook. I thought I was. You didn't friend. Hey, wait, wait. I just want to point out you haven't friended me either. Yeah, I know. <laughs> See, <you laughs> threw it. I'm throwing test, it right Alex. back there, right back there, because I haven't. You haven't friended me. I haven't friended you. Uh, you you first. Should- <laughs> There's a power play going on. Here. <laughs> I think it was a test one... of initiative exactly. Who will be the one that will approve You know rather than you know, uh... It's the new it's a scary
4: it's the... It is a game of chicken between Fred and, I, and We will we'll see you who budges first Fred <laughs> didn't the... want you just rolling your eyes And thinking oh gosh I've got a friend him Because he's a host
2: <laughs> Do we have to be Alex's friend?
1: Well he sort of owns the show So yeah kind of I think
0: You don't have to be but You don't have to be on the show either <laughs> exactly it's like your dad you don't have to follow my rules if you don't live (laughs) under my roof (laughs) (laughs) oh man all right it's just just alex Lindsay on facebook i i i I had i i went through the soul searching of, of who i was going to friend and not friend and then i just decided i'm just going to friend people who friend me so if you friend me you will you know Befriended eventually when I get to whatever I'm going through. There you go. You know, when I go through it, I just go, yes, 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 yes. So, so anyway, that's, that's the uh, secret.
1: Alex that's Lindsay th- on Facebook. The secret, Alex, to friending people on Facebook or accepting friend requests?
0: I'm still to- trying to figure out how my Twitter goes into my Facebook, but that's a whole other thing. I haven't, I, I, you know, it's too much technology for me, <sighs> but, but, but most of my time is still spent saying really silly things on Twitter. Just, just kind
1: of friend people from your iPhone, from the Facebook iPhone app. It makes it really easy just to click, 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 click,
3: click, click. Uh-huh. Done. Uh-huh. Very good.
1: Very easy, Mr. Ron Brinkman. Where can uh, where can people locate you?
3: Um, you can go to my blog, which is digitalcomposting.com. dot com. I'm going to mention that again because I just put up a post about uh, some future of camera technology and where I see some of this stuff going. So I want everybody that is listening to the show to go check out that blog and and uh, mostly because I'm curious, sort of, what thoughts other people might have, it's specifically about. You know, once you have full software control of a camera, what could you do with that? And, um, you know, we have an iPhone, which has basically got a full operating system and CPU in there, and it's got a crappy camera on there. But what if you had a good camera with a piece of software or a piece of hardware that could do software, and what kind of stuff might come out of that? So go to my blog, digitalcomposting.com, and comment on that last post. Ron, who who
1: put the picture of that, uh, who did the composite of that? SLR with the iPhone on it.
3: Oh, I did that. That was nice. a quickie. Good work. I have capabilities to do that sort of thing. You know?
1: I don't know. You might have people to do that for you now. Your mad
3: skills. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also on the twitters, Ron Brinkman, R O N B R I N K M A N N N N, and Aaron Mailer, my blog halfpress.com,
4: or on the twitters as well as Half Press, H-A-L-F-B-R-E-S-S. Excellent,
2: Steve Simon. Steve Simon, Twitter slash Steve Simon. Let's Excellent. Put that, Twitter me, follow me. Become
0: one of Steve's children.
2: <laughs> yes, become one of my child. And, I think and, all your Twitter should <laughs> say,
0: hello, children.
2: <laughs> I have a telethon, too.
1: <laughs> every time I think of Steve's children and him referring to his Twitter followers, I always think of fish in a little fish bowl. And and every time, every time Steve twitters, it's like sprinkling
2: little fish food into the fish tank. <laughs> Hey, I'm not sure I like that analogy. Hey, um, and I, I happen to know my followers are good swimmers, if that is any whatever. but uh. right, I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> okay, Can we edit that one out?
1: No.
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and if you want to follow me or find out what I'm up to, uh, you can just Google me because I'm on Facebook, Twitter, blog, all that stuff. Just Google Frederick Van and you'll see links to all my stuff. And with that... That's the end of the show, isn't it? I think we're
0: done. You can take that lens cap off, get out there, get shooting. Get
1: shooting. Do Do the sound effect, Alex.